Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Who Moved My Back In podcast. I'm your host, Clyde Tammy. I go by that girl Tammy on Instagram and Twitter. This week I am joined by Louisa Olafuyi, the co-founder of Kunda Kids Books. Kunda Kids is a four-book series made up of kings and queens from Africa. I spoke with Louisa regarding what inspired the books and how these amazing stories were birthed during lockdown last year. This conversation reminded me of just how important it was for us to keep on top of our culture and teach our kids about where we come from and our history and that our history is not just about oppression and trauma and everything that we have gone through and we are going through. So it's a book series that's just shedding light into the world and I really enjoyed having this conversation because Louisa is a marketing innovation specialist at Unilever so she knows her stuff when it comes to marketing. So I definitely picked up some gems in the episode to find out how Kunda Kids had become such a big household name in such a short space of time. The episode starts off with me asking Louisa how her Christmas was, considering that we are in lockdown and a lot of people did not get to spend Christmas with their loved ones as usual. I hope you enjoy the episode. Here we go. So I kind of did, I, I underestimated uh, how much I needed to rest and reset. The year had been quite eventful. And, um, you know, when you're just going at 100 miles an hour or whatever speed, the faster you go, the harder it is to stop. Yeah. So I'm really glad, actually, that there was an opportunity to not do anything. It helped me. Uh, slow down, take a breath. Um, I think one of my New Year's resolutions, I'm only making one New Year's resolution uh, and that's just to prioritise self-care a lot more. Mm -hmm. And I know like, you know, self-care is a bit of a trend and everybody's trying to self-care, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But um, I genuinely mean it, like really carving out time for my mental health, my physical health, um, because it's just even the performance in of everything that you do starts to be affected when you are not uh, giving to yourself first. Like you can't mm-hmm. pour for an empty cup from an empty cup. So yeah, that's, that, that was it. I really actually appreciated that introspective time between Christmas and new year. I started the year feeling like really optimistic um, and quite clear. I got a lot of clarity. So I'm happy about that. That's really good. Did you find, do you find it easy? Like, let's say, because like you said, you were going at full speed and then you slowed down, like literally went back to like gear two or one and then you went back again. Do do you find it hard to go back again after you've taken that time to just like have that down? I did. I I did, to be honest. I did. I think my fatigue was starting to affect like... um, affect my energy levels Mm. and I'm usually I like to think that I'm usually quite happy and chirpy person but I was really starting to struggle with my moods a little bit just starting to struggle with just like being feeling happy and bright and kind of like carefree and cheerful because you know you're just thinking you've got so much stuff to do Mm. and then like that busy stressful um zone ends up being like the zone that you were always in it ends up being like that's your vibe and then um so I I did find 
it's not as easy as saying, oh yeah, I just want to reset and I want to be happy again. I want to be cheerful again. And then it happens. It didn't. So what I did, I started journaling um, for a little bit and I thought okay. that was really good. It yeah. helped me. I, I like writing and expressing myself through through words and, and writing anyway. So that helped. Um, and then I think, you know, taking walks out with my son and yeah, then suddenly like things just got a little bit easier. Um, I started listening to a lot of different podcasts and started doing some, I'm signed up to like masterclass. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's just do, the, you do kind of like online classes. So, so I, I gave everything a little bit of a break um, and that was good and that was fun. So it wasn't easy, but it became easier the more you kind of commit to it. And I think that's everything is in a commitment. The commitment is sometimes like the hardest thing of all. Yes. <laughs> is that discipline to the commitment, isn't it? <laughs> I know. Yeah. So, but, so, yeah, yeah. so 2020 was very busy for you. I mean, you launched your books, but what I'm yes. interested in, did you have this idea before 2020? No, we did not have this idea at all. And um, like I told you, I have a bit of a sore throat. So you have to, um, I have to apologize for my throat. I've kind of, kind, of, kind of got like jazz vibes at the moment. I'm really happy. Sounds good. So, Sounds good. <laughs> but in answer to your question, absolutely not. To be honest with you, we really didn't see this coming. And I did not anticipate at all that I would be writing children's books or would be doing what we were doing. But um, there were sort of several signs that were leading us to this point. So early, I'll, I'll take us back to this time last year, mm-hmm. January uh, 2020. Um, we were planning to go to Uganda in February to spend some time with my family. My son's birthday is in February. He was going to be turning one. So we were very excited about him going at least to like the first African country, getting a sense of home and everything. So we were preparing for that. And um, when we went to Uganda, we had a wonderful time. My son loved it. And for some reason, all these things that we were struggling with back home, like him sleeping through the night, eating, getting him to crawl, to walk, they just all happened in Uganda. Just started eating all wow. these foods, started sleeping through the night. He took his first steps in Uganda. Like he just totally vibed with the environment, like nothing that we've ever That's seen. Don't know what it, don't know what it is, but it was pretty cool. And, um, I learned that my grandma had given him a middle name, which is Kunda. Um, that was the name that she had given to him. And, and, and I don't think I was really aware of it, but she, mm. people were calling him Kunda and we were like, who's Kunda? <laughs> like, yeah, like your grandma calls him Kunda. Like, okay. So she was telling us that the name Kunda is Ugandan and it means love. And I loved it. I thought it was such a nice name. And um, so we started calling him Kunda on holiday too. And I was talking to my mom and my mom's very creative. She runs a boutique hotel. She loves interior design. She's such a creative person. And she's like, you know, you should really maybe go into like children's clothes and start doing things together, like um, start putting stuff together for for children. And they should learn about where they're from and really embrace their heritage. She's like, there's a big responsibility that you guys have as parents to raise the next generation. She's like, there's so many things I try to do for you to break like I won't call them generational curses. I'll call them maybe generational habits and perspectives that, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you want your children to evolve from. And she's like, it's the same for you. I think that the things that your generation, it's going to be hard for you to influence. So you really want to try and influence them for your son. 
and get him to love where he's from, regardless of where, wherever you end up in the world, blah, 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 blah. So we thought, okay, let's do this through maybe a nice children's clothing line and actually started looking at some concepts and started mm. looking at producing a few items. And then COVID happened. Yeah. Um, we were in lockdown in March and so much changed. I had plans to go and see um, some uh, materials factory people and like created some concept outfits online but then I'm not going to be selling clothes to anybody online it was not what I had planned to do so we just dropped it and that Mm -hmm. was that and um being in lockdown forced my husband and I obviously to spend a lot of time together and in within that we were having conversations and we were talking about African history and do we know African leaders and I'm like, like ancient African leaders. And mm. like, oh yeah, we know Mansa Musa, but I didn't know Mansa Musa very well. My husband was telling me, you know, how um, he was the richest man. He is the richest man recorded in history. Um, and, you know, uh, for that time. And I never knew that. And he was telling yeah. me how he tried to explain it to his classmates when he was doing his MBA in Cambridge and they yeah. didn't believe him. And he asked them to go and do their research. And they came back and said, wow, we had no idea. Yeah. But um, this prompted us to realize how little we know about our history. I know about Napoleon. I know about Henry VIII. I know about a whole number of different characters from both ancient and modern European history. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why don't I know anything about African history? I really don't. Like, I know Shaka Zulu to some extent, but I really don't know. Yeah much about him and what he was about and we're like this is really problematic so I then started talking about history as a child and I was telling my husband that I enjoyed history but I had such a horrible history teacher so I just checked out but I remember when we learned about um black history yeah and our black history was just about slavery yeah and um I remember feeling so awkward in the classroom. I remember feeling like embarrassed in a way because, you know, like, oh, you're covering my culture. But then you're telling me about things that I don't really know and expressing them in a way that that has, that's not what my parents told me or that's not how I have was taught to believe we were from. And I remember finding it a very uncomfortable experience. And I was not uncomfortable because of what I was finding out, but I was also uncomfortable because of what my friends' perceptions were of where I'm from. Hmm. And um, so this really sparked the purpose behind Kunda Kids, the fact that we wanted to inspire the next generation and rewrite a lot of what has been formed as black history, African history, African ancient history, um, because the perception of it for young people is very convoluted because of a lot of misinformation. And um, yeah, we wanted to do something about it. And also we just found, so we started researching the market, the black space and children's books. And we also found a lot of content was very political. So I think that there is a lot of room for conversations with young people about um, I love my skin color or I love my hair and I love, you know, black, black boys matter. And I think that those are fantastic stories and there is a space and a need for them. But I think that when children's literature for children of color is only uh, tied up in issues of race and social justice, it then makes young people believe that their 
identity, that racism is part of their identity and part of their existence. And it is only a part of our existence. It is only a part of our history. Um, and I hope that it will only be a small part of our future. So um, we just said, you know, let's create some stories and not make them about our oppression. Let's just make them centered around the great things that people in history have done. Um, because of how history has been written, like it's very difficult for us to write a factual story based on children's books because it's not appropriate for, for children because history is very barbaric. Yeah. And it would be a horrible reading experience <laughs> for parents and children. So we said, let's, um, let's turn these characters into children. Let's make these characters fictional. Let's base them around the essence of the original person, but let's let them problem solve, you know, fictional situations that young people would be going through, like making friends, like learning generosity, like, you know, overcoming self-confidence or start finding your self-confidence. So yeah, so that's what we did. So that, that was like the, the journey of it. Um, and to be honest with you, the rest of it from that inception to now has just felt like a bit of a blur because it 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 just became this wheel that started spinning and things started happening and we found an illustrator and we found an editor and then we found another editor and then we created and then we had a draft and then we had another draft and so um you know I I, I wouldn't, wouldn't want to bore you with the day-to-day um runnings of how everything came together but that's how the idea sort of Came in. Yeah. I actually wanted you to bore me with all those details because I am very, <laughs> <laughs> I am very, very intrigued. So when you had this idea, when you decided that you're going to do a book instead of like a clothing line and stuff, um, and then mm-hmm. you started thinking about the stories that you're going to do, how did you think, okay, so we're going to need an illustrator. Where do we get an illustrator from? And oh, how question. are we going to print this book? So are we going to go for self-publishing? Are we going to look for publishers? Did you have that conversation with your husband? Yeah. And I didn't even know I about mean, the editor yeah. thing. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. I mean, really, the struggle was real to find the right people, but I was really blessed to be quite well connected. Um, a little bit about me, uh, my background is I, I work in marketing and innovation. So I do have a day job alongside Kinder Kids. Uh, I work with Unilever as an innovation specialist and it's okay. a role I really love. I've always worked in marketing and consumer insights and research and um, behavioral science, really understanding uh, people and the decisions they make. Uh, around the things that they want to buy, around their sense of self, the things that they value and how that impacts um, our consumption, right? Uh, That is a big part of my role. So um, I was also the marketing lead for TEDx Houston, which is the TEDx, uh, like the local TEDx's for the Pan-African diaspora. So we used to have our events every year um, and then put people from the African diaspora on the the stage to talk about innovative things. And uh, another person on our team, um, her name is Nancy Adamara, and she has a African literary magazine and she's kind of like the guru when it comes to African stories and writers and the industry as a whole she is a wealth of information so I actually reached out to her about whether she knew anyone that could be an editor so she introduced me to somebody that introduced me to to our editor so that's how that came along but before that it was just a lot of um googling and looking on LinkedIn and we never really found somebody that um I don't know. We we just didn't 
find someone that clicked. Mm-hmm. I, I worked in publishing as well for some time at Cambridge University Press mm-hmm. um, as a product marketer, marketing books and the education space. So I, I sort of knew about the book marketing process and understanding how to put a book together, what that process is like, um, important things to consider and also what it takes to get a book out there in the market and how to talk about it, how to build it. So um that was a blessing to have that experience. It came in handy. I never knew that that job would be that <laughs> worthwhile because I, um, I appreciated it, but I was a bit like, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. But that time that I was there ended up being hugely valuable to me. Yeah. So somehow like there were lots of pieces in my life that I never really saw were going to be useful, but ended up being so pivotal into all these sort of skills and things that we needed to bring this together. Yeah. My background has always been in marketing. Yeah, I graduated as a journalist. I was a research okay. journalist for a time. I yeah. still love to write as much as I can. Um, I've had some work published. Um, then I went into, oh, I have a bit of an eclectic background to be honest. I started as a graphic designer and I still love to design as well. Mm-hmm. And then um, went into journalism did the writing thing and also broadcasting. So I love editing film, doing documentary journalists, editing audio. I ran a podcast for some time too. Um, And then went into business and marketing, which I love. I think essentially the common thread between everything that I've always done is storytelling. I love understanding people and where they're at and knowing having an understanding of what they need um, and try to meet that, whether through uh, products and helping brands like tell the right stories and build the right personality based on that so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was um well it seemed like I, I was just on Instagram one day and then I was on my stories and you know the ad come an ad comes up every like three stories the third story or the fourth story an ad comes up and one yeah. of them was Kunda Kids so what was your process like in terms of marketing the product from mm-hmm because this was something that was brand new and I feel like it for something that started last year it has skyrocketed from like my point of view as like a consumer looking in it looks like it has really skyrocketed what was like the marketing plan behind getting Kunda Kids in front of people a good question. So, I mean, the development of the books was the hard bit because that's where we, my husband and I didn't have experience. My husband works in marketing as well. Um, he's the marketing lead for Africa for World Remit. So we were like, when the books were done, we were just like, thank you. Now we can actually do what we're good at. <laughs> I think um, our plan for me, my, my husband, my, we both work in marketing, but we have very different skill sets and they come together quite well my husband is very very good at like strategy at numbers and processes um and implementation i'm very good at articulating the brand the visuals the language the feeling like what that's supposed to what are what we are supposed to be achieving for people on an emotional level so um my husband knew that we wanted to be able to to reach our community, right? And we knew that we wanted to be able to do that, but we also knew that this was something that would not just be for Black people because our experiences had taught us that it's not just Black people that need to 
to have diverse stories. It's non-Black people that need to have diverse stories because Black people cannot be racist to Black people. Everybody needs to have an understanding and needs to be um, exposed to a variety of different people and places and stories. Because when children's literature fails to provide a balanced representation of people and places, it does give children a very limited view of the world mm-hmm. and impacts their behavior and how they treat people. So we were like, okay, how do we create something that is quintessentially black and quintessentially African during a time when the world is very polarized and marketed? So we worked very closely with our illustrators um, around finding the right balance of illustrations. So we found like we didn't want to be too like, uh, I don't know what the word is, but rustic in terms of our characters, like to make them to holding sticks and wearing grass skirts and in hats, right? But at the same time, we didn't want them to be too Disney, right? Where they feel like... um, whitewashed versions of black characters mm-hmm. uh, so we really we, we run a series of focus groups with parents and young people testing different images along the process getting their feedback lots of zooms showing them ideas of the characters how it makes them feel asking children so that really helped us refine the balance in terms of how we should be speaking as a as a as a brand <clears throat> we also knew that printing quality Uh, was an issue so we had bought a whole bunch of different books from different authors and examined them analyzed them went through them page by page looked at the quality looked at the presentation I think my graphic design experience helped me know what like good clean contemporary design is I'm very like minimalist in my style I love bright colors and I love vibrant things but I also like clean things like a lot of space and so I knew that there was not much at least on the market that was specifically African but felt contemporary so that was a challenge take something really old and then make and make it feel new you know um so I think that we that was kind of like our marketing mission in terms of trying to portray the brand you know authentically in terms of our marketing plan what we needed to do was get the books out Christmas and to market them by Christmas, which is a real challenge for us. So essentially we produced the four books in four months. And we did that by working with a number of different illustrators. So typically you work with one illustrator and one writer. But actually um, I wrote the books. My husband did the concepts. I turned the concepts into words. Um, The editor refined, you know, um, references and how some of the things were written. Then you have one person sketching it whilst they're sketching. It's like a conveyor belt. Another person colors. The illustrators did the coloring. So one illustrator did the sketching. And then whilst she's sketching, she'll move one sketch to another who will do the coloring. So whilst one is coloring it all in, the other one is sketching. So it makes like for a much faster turnaround. So that, you know, that helped us. Um, And in terms of actually going to market, we just knew that we needed uh, support in terms of word of mouth because it's very intrinsic to the community to share. Like we can't help it. If I find something good, if I find a product that I love, I will tell people about it. You can't even hold me down. So we knew that however much money we can put behind any paid advertising, it didn't matter. We had to find something that was talkable. We needed to 
uh, create a product that had talkability, something that was very easy to explain, a very catchy title, um, and something that was, um, yeah, easy for people to reverberate. So that's what we started doing, started sharing the imagery on WhatsApp, trying to make it really shareable. So I think that was a large part of our strategy was trying to, um, yeah, make it shareable, make it fast and shareable. But it wasn't it wasn't easy. A lot of people really struggle in publishing because it's a very expensive industry to, to start in. We also knew price point would be an important part of what we are doing. And especially in our community, we wanted to make sure that these books are accessible. We didn't want it to be an elitist brand. We wanted it to be modern and beautiful and nice, but we didn't want it to be like, oh, we're premium black children's books you know that's not what we wanted to do we wanted to have something that's lovely but accessible to everybody and in order to do so we had to produce it at a price point that would allow us to sell it and still make a margin a reasonable margin on our profits so a big part of that was having to do a large order um, and which a lot of people can't necessarily do because you have to have the capital to print in bulk uh, and most people print on demand uh, so if they get a demand for if they get interest in a book the person will pay for the book the book will be produced and shipped off to the person and producing an individual book at a time is like 10 times more expensive than it costs just to produce a huge batch and then deal with it yourself so we just used our savings and we bootstrapped just between us and we managed to to, to get the money together to in, to bet on ourselves on a big order because the bigger the order the cheaper we can make it for people so we, we were um privileged to be in a position to be able to do that and i think so much of marketing is about getting your messaging right making sure your product is good so that you don't have to uh, your marketing doesn't have to overcompensate for crap product Mm -hmm. and to getting your pricing right so I think those were our key areas of um of like that we key areas of the business that we knew we needed to to nail yeah so in terms of the printing would it not be smarter like the way that you guys did it make a bulk order because I feel like with books because books don't expire so you're not going to have like a best before date. I would think that if I'm going to print a book, even if I don't think that I'm going to sell maybe hundred or thousand copies this month, I will just think I'll fuck, if I can find a way to get money to get those thousand copies done, they can just stay in my, in my yeah. kitchen, my bedroom, wherever. And I'll try and push them as much as I can because yeah. that might make more financial sense. Yeah, that is the smart thing to do. Absolutely. And that is the economic economical thing to do but the reality is is that not everybody can afford to do it yeah and it's just that simple not everybody can afford to do it not everybody um can afford to put uh their savings into something especially in a recession where you know of all times this is not the time when most people can afford to do it um so yeah and there are a lot of things that people should do which make financial sense but unfortunately capital is one of access to capital is one of the biggest challenges for a lot of black businesses because um sometimes you need to have money to make money and we you know were able to just bring what we had together but uh it's not always possible it's not always possible Mm. and especially within publishing a lot of writers don't make that much anyway um 
and usually they will go to a publishing company to get published because they will handle all of that for you but when a publishing company publishes work on your behalf it's the publisher's product you get paid royalties but it's not your baby anymore and we wanted we wanted something that we could own uh, we could control who it gets in the hands of a publishing company also doesn't usually let you come with your own illustrators and we knew we wanted to work with illustrators um in our community we wanted to work with black african illustrators and we work with two young girls that were a university you're hugely talented and just looking for opportunity that's it so we just said you know i think we are clear enough on our vision um and lucky enough to be able to do this without further assistance let's just go for it but but now our house is full of books <laughs> but that's a good thing <laughs> so how much would you uh, recommend someone to have saved or put aside or have some angel investors if they have an idea for publishing a book yeah good question so i would say that um you know the good thing about publishing is that you have a lot of upfront costs so essentially you pay for an editor you have to pay for illustrators you have to pay for printing you have to pay for design in this case i designed all the book covers i designed all the branding everything to do with the design aspects of the, the brand and the products i've done but essentially you'd have to get a graphic designer to do those things um so but the good thing is that once you have the book done and the design they're done once they're printed they're done so they're not a lot of like reoccurring costs mm-hmm. so it's just kind of like getting all of those invested in and in and out of the way and i think hiring um illustrators is not is not cheap because they're really talented people and it takes time and they have to bring your vision into fruition um and but and a, a lot of illustrators actually write their own books which is which is great so i think Honestly, as much as you can learn to do yourself is the best thing for self-publishers. That's what I would say. Take a course in Adobe Photoshop. Yeah. Um, work with a proper illustrator. But once you learn how to like uh, um, use Photoshop, use InDesign, which is the software that you use for actually putting all the book content together, you don't have to pay professionals for that stuff. These are all things that. I self-taught myself. I didn't know how to use InDesign before I started this project, but I just figured I have to use it. So wow. we got to learn today. <laughs> <laughs> and really that's it. Just playing around, making mistakes, learning, watching a few YouTube videos here and there. We printed with an amazing printing company called XYZ that specialized in um, children's books. So I would literally call them and I would say, you know, can I get your advice on this? What do you recommend in terms of like, what are the things that I should look out for when I'm putting this book together on InDesign? I ask anybody, all my graphic design people, um, all the illustrators, when they put an illustration together, I will ask them, how did you do that? How did you make your lines so your, your lines so neat? So I was just a sponge soaking up everything. Yeah. And I think that when you are building a business from scratch and every penny literally counts, you have to learn to learn. You have to learn to learn. Yeah. You really do have to learn to learn because it will cost you. Um, unless you have a lot of money to give to people to do things for you which in a lot of cases people don't you have to learn to learn and I always say that YouTube is your best friend because I learned how to I learned how to use Photoshop on YouTube 
literally started yeah. off like how do you make a what was my first one something like how to make like a circle it had like this 3d circle <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was like the first things i learned how to do on photoshop you actually end up feeling so empowered when you can do things yourself you're not always having to ask people to fix things for you or having to compromise on the delivery of um the things that you're doing because you don't know how or you don't know how to ask so I'm a big advocate of just wanting to do everything by you know learning how to do everything myself or at least feeling empowered if somebody's sending me a video file I usually feel like I have enough knowledge to know how long that file should take to put together how complex it is um, and you know, when I get that file back, I can at least look at it, and make any small tweaks. But when somebody's telling you, "Oh, it's going to take a week," and you know that actually, it really only takes a couple of hours to do that, it makes you um, able to also negotiate on terms with the artists that you work with as well. That's true. That's very true. So, what what are some of the mistakes that you think you did in preparation and launch of the books? A great question. Oh, well, to be honest with you, you know, we learn every day. Like my husband and I always going, well, that was a lesson learned. <laughs> so, and, um, and that, and that's, that's part of everything. So there's, there's so many, so many lessons that we've learned along the way. So I think the first, um, lesson that we learned was when somebody showed, like there's a saying that when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we initially worked with um, somebody that was providing us with some talent for the books, but we really struggled with like getting the work from them on time or, you know, sometimes it could be very rushed or very lazy or they weren't being very open about their commitments and their ability to deliver. And, you know, we, in an effort to really genuinely want to like give people opportunities we kind of were like it's okay let's try and I'm always the one to give them like try just give them another week or whatever but actually it just ended up not being the right fit um and you know we found out that like not all of the work that they were producing for us was actually like genuine work that they put together themselves so in the end we ended up finding uh, a, another person to work with who was fantastic and they were with us for the duration of the project and we're really blessed for that but I think um, it's it, it's learned me to be it's, it's helped me learn to be a little bit more pragmatic when working for people it's working with people it's absolutely fine to want to give people opportunities but you have to be very clear and and have deadlines and expectations that people know that they need to meet or and if they don't meet them um then you know you need to like renegotiate exactly what your terms are so my husband is very much better at being a bit more cutthroat than I am but that's all right then um, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so we we wasted a lot of time actually on things like that that we could have moved on with faster um and one of the books queenia we actually did and then redid that book pretty much again right at the end just because yeah because by the time we had written our second third and fourth book they looked you could tell the improvements in the work that we were doing, right? That the first book looked like the first book. Just doesn't make sense. So we, so, so we, so we actually kind of refreshed that book so that they could all be, you know, just as good as each other. Um, so, and then another lesson, I think, to, I think another lesson that we learned was, hmm, 
honestly, you know, there's so many lessons, but sometimes when you get asked these questions on the spot, you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think a huge lesson for me personally was learning to delegate. So it's something I really struggled with. At the beginning of this project, I wanted to write, I wanted to illustrate, I wanted to design, I wanted to do marketing, I wanted to do this, and you have to come to me for this. And um, I had to learn that that is not possible or practical. And the good thing is that I do have a lot of skills in lots of different areas, but I'm not necessarily an expert in book publishing. I'm not an expert in illustrating. I'm not an expert in uh, copy editing. I can do lots of different things. Yeah. And, um, you know, my husband was just like, you can't illustrate the books or give it to somebody else. Let somebody else help us with social media. Let somebody else help us with PR. Because by the time we got to launch and we were um, public, between the two of us, my husband and I, we were doing everything. But the problem is you can't do everything. So sometimes some things fit, like suffer. You find you're not posting as frequently or I'm not responding to people very quickly or, you, you know, just kind of get overwhelmed and busy. So I think now in the new year, I'm just learning to, to let it go a little bit. And now I don't have to do everything. Um, give as much feedback as I can know that done is always better than perfect yeah and um and yeah like it's okay just release things a little bit and everything will be okay I think that was my lesson for last year as well because I'm yeah. very much like like you it's okay I can do everything myself like I got it it's cool I can do it yeah because, <laughs> <laughs> like it's the whole one is the delegation and I think for me it's also a sense of I don't know if you're going to be able to do it to maybe as good as I would do it basically yeah. yeah but then I bit the bullet this year and I got myself a copywriter right but that, that wasn't even on purpose it wasn't even like I was gonna I was looking I was looking for one but I wasn't actively looking for one if that makes sense yeah I feel like I'm really crap in management like that's my weakness I don't want to okay. seem bossy you know but I also yeah. need this yeah. thing done <laughs> Yes. Yeah. 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 I struggled with that too. And at some point I just had to say to my husband, you need to manage people and tell them and, and get, be on their backside. Like, when are we expecting this? Cause I'll be like, Oh, just checking in. How are we getting along? Yeah. Where he'll be like, hi, you said you were going to deliver this. Are we still on track? <laughs> so yeah, I completely, re- I completely relate to that with you. A hundred percent. I don't have your husband to do this for you. I have to like try and find so you're trying to not to put too many pleas in that because then it's yes. just going to sound a bit patronizing and just a mess. And yes. you're also yes. trying to make it firm without controlling. And uh, Because essentially it's important to work with people that like you, you know, and when you're working on something that you feel really passionate about, you want people to share that same passion and it's impossible to do that if they don't, if they, if you're struggling to get on with them, but at the same time, you know, you sometimes need to move things along outside of what people's personal feelings are about you. So it's such a struggle and I completely understand and relate to it. And I think that we're definitely not alone in that struggle. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So how did you manage to get press for, um, for Kunda kids? Do you think experience, um, marketing has helped that if I'm honest I don't think experience in marketing (laughs) helped that much because our marketing experience has not been um 
P it hasn't been very PR centered. So my husband's marketing experience has mainly been around uh product marketing and strategy. Yeah. And then um like maybe so he's been running a lot of campaigns and stuff, which is really helpful. And then my marketing experience has mainly been about consumer research and insight and product development, but not the whole PR liaising with journalists, mm-hmm. getting our getting yeah. our stuff out there. But it helped to be able to write. It helped to be able to have a very clear one thing we are crystal clear about is what the company is, what it stands for, who we serve, and what our direction is. And just knowing exactly what that is and being immovable in our purpose um, makes us uh, makes it very easy for us to communicate to other people like they get it. It's not something that I have to explain uh, and people are like, huh? Mm-hmm. People get it and that's great. I think in terms of um, getting press, what we found was essential, again, as I mentioned, was the talkability. People want to know, is there something other people are interested in? You know, we are, you know, we, we didn't seek any like investment, any external VC or angel investment or anything like that. Um, we will do at some later point for some of our further developments, but at the moment that, that wasn't something that we needed. But even an investor wants to know, what do people want this yeah you know so we knew that's what we had to prove that there is a demand and there is an appetite for this and being able to prove that helped with the help with press one thing we also did was enter a competition um a byp pitch competition black young professionals network um they had an open competition that my husband applied for in the middle of the night he just was like oh i saw this thing and i just you know submitted an application i'm just going to shoot my shot and see what happens yeah so they got back to us and said they were happy to enter us and we pitched the business alongside a number of other businesses um and and we won i think we were quite confident pitching we both pitched a number of different things in our life so we were quite confident in that and we won and that was really good and we got a lot of exposure to that we got a lot of exposure um on social media also in in the press and we were able to connect with a number of different people that are genuinely interested in the business and are just being committed to help us kind of reach our our missions so that was fantastic and i think really helpful we're hoping to enter a number of different uh, literary awards and opportunities this year. Um, so fingers crossed we do, we do well in those. And um, I think it's just like opening the conversation. We've had a few like um, quite notable people just message us and we're like, where did you even find us about, find out about us? Like June Sapong messaged us to say that she found out about it. She absolutely loved what we're doing. And um, I, I called my mom like, oh my God, mom, remember June Sapong? She's like, oh, that woman that was on TV. I said, yeah, I know. She's like, my mom's like, oh my God, I loved her. I'm like, I know. <laughs> anyway. So we've had a few moments like that. Um, I would still love more press and I'm not going to lie. It's one area I'm really trying to work on is how to get us on a larger platform. We find that we are doing well Mm -hmm. in like a, in a sort of small little like small bubble. And what I've realized is that when people find out about us, it's like a no brainer that people like I've literally been talking to you on a phone call and before the phone call is over, they've bought the book that, that the, the, the journey, the, the, the consumer consideration journey from knowing about what we do to buying a book and, and, and getting involved in what we're doing is really short. And that's a blessing. 
but our biggest challenge is how do we, you know, how do we get up? How do we get up there? Because we are not, um, I don't, I studied journalism, but that was many years ago. And the industry is very different now. And we don't necessarily schmooze, schmooze with the gatekeepers of the industry. So it's just being persistent, being persistent with our PR leads, being persistent, emailing and emailing and emailing again and following up on that email <laughs> and politely checking and you know gently nudging <laughs> and really honestly that's just that's just what it is there hasn't been any magic bullet to that process it has been a daily grind of um emails and reminders all right so you said in the future you might look for investment that means you want kunda kids to be bigger what's the vision mm-hmm. Yeah, so we we obviously want to grow and growth for us means getting in the hands of as many young people as possible, being able to inspire um, and engage as many young minds as possible. So we, we, we are looking at how do we do that. And one of our objectives is how do we really reach young people on the continent too? Right now, we're, we're trying to serve as much of the diaspora as, as we can. Um, we're available in the UK, Europe, US, Canada. Um, and yeah, and we, 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 we've been shipping, we've shipped to Australia, we've shipped to Japan. Right. Um, so we, we are trying to make ourselves as available as possible. But unfortunately... It is a it is a slightly more complicated challenge when it comes to getting our books into Africa. So one of the challenges are uh, price point. So it's not possible realistically to retail our books at the same price in pounds um, as in local currencies in you know Uganda, Nigeria, and South Africa, anywhere else. So we, we, we're working on that. We are available in some places. So we're in three bookstores in Nigeria, in a bookstore called Roman Heights, uh, in the Bookworm Cafe in Lagos, and also, oh, I've forgotten the name because we just got in there like yesterday. Oh, wow, um, amazing. Yeah, but in another bookstore um, in Okoye. So we we are really happy that we are like visible and present on the continent, but we want to be more visible and more present. We want to be more affordable and we want to be more accessible. So that's definitely something that we're driving towards. It's not as profitable, but it's really important to us. So yeah. I think as a business, we're strategizing on how, how to make that happen. Um, we also want to be in a number of different languages. So we are going to be translating some of our titles into different languages. We're starting with French. Um, and then we have had a number of requests to translate into German as well um, and Spanish and then eventually uh, African local languages too. Um, so that's some of our ambitions. Uh, we will make our titles available as ebooks when we can, so that if people can't get hold of physical copies, as long as they have a smartphone or some kind of smart device, be it a yeah. tablet or whatnot, they should be able to read the books. And at least teachers should be able to read the books too. Over Christmas, I did um, put some activity books together for teachers and parents. So those can just be downloaded and then printed. So as long as you have access to a printer, that means teachers can print activity books for for, um, the little ones and parents can do too. We would, uh, we are currently, which is a really exciting project for me, and something completely new uh, in my life, I can't wait, but we are gonna look into songs. 
So we are working with a number of musicians. I love that. And yeah, so we're looking into a couple of things, taking an African spin on traditional nursery rhymes. So a bit like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star or um, I'm trying to think of like nursery rhymes that I like, but you know, whatever, the wheels on the bus or whatever yeah. it is. Taking like traditional nursery rhymes, but giving them like a, a nice contemporary African flavor. Because, you know, if you have a child, as like I do, especially one that's around my age, there was a time in my life that I remember listening to music that was appropriate for my age, but those <laughs> days are gone now. <laughs> Those days are gone. I'm like, who's Drake? Who's Rihanna? Who's Beyonce? Like, I literally listen to Coco Melon <laughs> and uh, Akili Ami, yeah. uh, Lulu Kids all yes. day. Yes. So, and actually, you sometimes you do get to enjoy those songs to an extent. So we want to put something together that becomes a fun experience for both young people and then also for parents too. And then we also want to go on this journey to learn nursery rhymes from the continent, uh, take those and turn them into contemporary versions for families to learn about traditional songs that are nursery rhymes and, and what's behind them. So that's a really interesting project. Even just like before even producing it, I'm looking forward to just the, the research and learning process that yeah. that's going to entail. Um, so that's something. And then eventually we want to look into an animations as well. That's quite an expensive endeavor. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's when the conversation about further investment and the conversation about how to uh, make the business more digitalized will start to, 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 to take place. And that probably will be towards the end of the year, maybe into 2022. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. It might happen faster. It might happen. It might take a little bit more time. No, I love that because I really, really enjoyed Akili. Um, yeah. I also enjoyed Coco Melon and all that stuff, but I feel like other programs like Akili, um, they're important for our culture. And like you said, not only for our culture, for everyone else's. So yeah. it needs to be like we need to be on an even playing field with the Coco Melons and the Lulu Kids and the Peppa Pigs in terms of yeah. it should not just be for black kids. It should be for every kid. It should kid. just be exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And 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 that's the that's the that's the aim. Like that's the goal that when I, you know, I don't watch I don't know actually that's not true I was going to say when I watch Coco Melon I don't think oh I'm going to watch a white program I'm in the yeah. mood for a white program it's yeah. just the program it's just yeah. what it is um, I only feel like that sometimes because they're not there's not more diversity so I get worried sometimes because my son loves these characters he sees them he knows the brand he knows the YouTube logo the Netflix logo he knows when he sees it you know it's coming it's about to go down his friends are about to appear on the screen but I get worried that he doesn't see himself and he starts to look at those as what is admire like what is entertaining and what is admirable but I, I want other children to be able to to enjoy um these characters the same way as they would any others and just the fact that it's that they have different uh complexions shouldn't matter because we watch people that don't look like us all the time and we still enjoy that content so it's possible yeah 
and I'm fully with you. I, I, I look forward to the day where a movie is not a black movie. It's just yeah, a movie. exactly, exactly. You know, yeah, it's not exactly. a black show. Girlfriends is not a black show. It's a show, yeah, yeah, yeah. just like Friends. Exactly, is a show. You know, so yeah. I, I'm fully with you, and I'm like really right behind you <laughs> for that to happen. <laughs> and you know, one thing that's really I'm really looking forward to doing. So, um, right now we're in the process of conceptualizing the second volume of Africa's Little Kings and Queens. Uh, for this for this series, I wrote all of the four books. My, my husband did the concepts for them. But for this next one, I will only be writing one book. And we are bringing in different authors from across the continent to write the other series, which I'm really excited about. And um, we, w- one thing that's really passionate, w- one thing that my husband and I are really passionate about is having diversity within diversity so at the moment just having the books themselves as african characters is diverse enough it's not diverse enough sorry is diverse in itself but we are looking we are looking through the books and we had an exercise yesterday when we sat down with the illustrators over zoom and we went through each page and talked about how we could improve what things we would like to see different and we're like our book isn't even diverse within you know, from an African perspective. So we want to try and have like um, more different like shades of characters, different skin tones. Yeah. We want to have different sizes, thin kids, fat kids, tall kids, slim kids, skinny kids, short kids, albino children. We want to be able to have children with disabilities. We want to have different, different, different children with different, abilities in general yeah um so we really want to try and and bring diversity to our characters because even within african culture there's so many differences between us and there's so many things that we experience differently um given our age our size our backgrounds our tribes our um physical abilities our makeup so we we just want to be a little bit we want to provide a little bit more texture to our characters, not yeah. make them so homogenous, like, oh, this is a black child. Okay, that's enough. It's not enough. I think there's still work we can do. Yeah. So you've already decided on the next four books. I saw Actually, that you posted kind of. on your Instagram that you had, and you, like, and you <laughs> yeah. said, can anyone guess what it is? Can you tell us what yes. it is? I cannot tell you what it is. <laughs> I cannot tell you what it is at all. Um, I would love to, uh, but I was really intrigued as to what people would think it is. So we have four different characters that will come from four new new countries um, in Africa. So that's exciting. Uh, and then I am just working on one of them. Yeah. So, um, and this was actually a character that I had considered working on before, but I just couldn't, because, you know, Africa's Little Kings and Queens is meant to be five books. But this one character, I... I love this person but I just couldn't get the story right and I needed more time and I said I don't want to rush it so I said let me leave it so I'm actually revisiting that character and then we'll have um four new characters from four different places which I'm really excited about so is it the one that you're writing is it a male or female oh I can't say oh you can look your side give us some clues I would love to. I can't say. I have to keep the suspense. I'm sorry. Oh, and I'm so terrible. I know that I will say something I'm not meant to say. It's okay. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> and they are going to be 
released this year. They're coming out this year as well. Yeah, we're hoping maybe before the summer, somewhere between okay. Easter and summertime. Oh, yeah. that's in like four months. Yeah, we're going to try and work quite quickly on them. I'm also, I mean, there's a lot going on. I'm also working on some board books. So our books are aimed, aimed for children between three to eight. Um, it's quite a large age gap with children that young, but our books are written specifically for that transition between having a book read to you children that love having a book read to them they're not reading yet they are recognizing words but they are enjoying being read to and then when children start to develop their own independent reading from about five we've made them simple enough but engaging enough for like as old as eight to be able to read so that's that that's the um group that our, our books are targeted to but i wanted to have something for people who have like newborns between uh, naught to three. So I'm putting, I'm doing some ABC one, two, three books together and they will be inspired by Africa's Kings and Queens. So just some counting books and some alphabet books. I love board books. Um, my child is a lot younger, but um, I wish that he had board books that were just a little bit more cultural and he learns and is learning to pick up, you know, words and, like we're reading one that's Winnie the Pooh, A is for Apple, B is for Bear, C is for Christopher Robin. And I'm like, you know, I'd really love to replace Christopher Robin with something that's a little bit more <laughs> culturally relevant. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just trying to think about doing something like that. Um, I've started it. And again, hoping that that'll be done maybe over the next couple of months or so. Yeah, that sounds perfect, actually, because I was thinking about this earlier, because I know before we spoke about having Kunda kids in my melody boxes, and I was thinking mm. that I can only, right now, I can only put them in that three to four box. They won't be able to go into yeah. the younger ones. And I was thinking to yeah. myself, that would be really nice if there were, like, the younger group, so that you can have, yes. like, a whole selection for that whole month. And Absolutely. I'm so glad that you said that, that that's actually in the works. That's very, very exciting. And I Thank love those books. I'm excited books. about it. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's like a, it, it's a bit of a, yeah, it's like a personal project. I told my husband I really wanted to do it. And he's just like, yeah, okay, go and do it then. Perfect. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so currently your books, I know they're available to buy on your website, kundakids.com. Um, yes. Are they on Amazon? They are. So we um, have the collections, so the four books together, available on Amazon Prime in the UK and the US. We, um, the best way of finding us on Amazon is to type, is to search Africa's Little Kings and Queens. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you should get it by the time you searched Africa's Little Kings. Um, so yeah, they're really easy to find and they're there and available. We also, but I think the website, our website is a more comprehensive place for all of our resources. I mean, if you want the books and you want them fast, by all means, go to Amazon. But our website is the best place to go for everything. So on our website, you'll be able to buy the collections and then you'll also be able to buy the individual titles. So we just released those yesterday. Before you couldn't buy individual titles, you could just buy the collection only. So now you can buy the books individually. Um, you can also access the activity books, which you can buy as a bundle and then also just individually um, for $3.99. And then we also have stickers. So everybody that pre-ordered the books, they would have received some free stickers. I don't even have stickers up here to show you, but 
um, they would have received some free stickers, uh, which are now available again to buy on our website just for a couple of quid or so. Okay, uh, so we've already spoke about what's next for Queen the Kids, and I'm, I'm so excited that this is all happening this year. That's very, very exciting. Actually, one thing I wanted to mention to you, when I first mm-hmm. saw the name, actually, Kunda, in my language, in Shona, because I'm from Zimbabwe. So in Shona, Kunda mm-hmm. actually means to be. Oh, really? So, yeah, okay. which means we have oh. kind of, we have won or we have beaten, depending on like the context that you use it for. So, and then when I saw, when you mentioned on your Instagram profile, what it actually meant, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool that we have exactly the same word, but with two different, different meanings meaning for it. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that at all. That's very interesting. But what language is that? It means um, love in Luganda, which Luganda. is like the main language that's spoken in Uganda. I, my family are, um, they speak Rinyankole, which is a different language. and from the Southwest region of Uganda, closer to um, Rwanda's border. Okay. But the central most popular language in Uganda is Luganda, of which Kunda comes from. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I usually talk about this in the beginning, but then I thought we got so much into the other bits. So I just kind of left it out. <laughs> we did. <laughs> so did you, were you born here or in Uganda? I was born in Uganda. Yeah. I was born in Kampala. I moved to the UK when I was about one or two. I moved with both my parents. Um, I already had my my dad's sister and my dad's mom were already living here. Um, and I think my dad had like a job opportunity. So he came with my mom. My mom didn't want to come. She's like, it's cold. <laughs> she wasn't interested. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so we ended up moving here. Unfortunately, my dad fell um, unwell and passed away when I was around eight. Okay. So I was raised mainly with, sorry, um, I was raised mainly with my mum in the UK and we just kind of have grown up with very close and I've lived all of my life in, in the UK. Um, when I did come to the UK, I did speak my, my local language, but I'm an only child. So I didn't really get to exercise my language much and unfortunately I've lost it. It's a real shame and something like, it's something that I feel has, is, is actually a real loss. The older that I get, the more that I want to connect with my culture. And it's one of those things. I, I hope that my son will, I don't know if he'll learn Yoruba, which is my husband's language, or any Ugandan phrases or anything. But we know that we at least want to go and take him home as often as possible, take him to Nigeria as much as possible, take him to Uganda as much as possible. I think one of the things that really helped me establish a very strong sense of self was traveling to Uganda often. Mm. I used to go maybe like once a year, um, at least a year or every other year when I was young. Yeah. And it just made me very confident in my identity. Um, Obviously, you know, when you, I don't know about, I don't know about you, but when I go home, I'm not really Ugandan, I'm British. When I'm in Britain, I'm not British, I'm African. Yeah. It's like you're never really anything anywhere. Yeah. Um, and that is just the, the, the pan-African, the, the plight of the pan-African people. It's just, unfortunately, it is what it is. But at the same time, having access to my roots has always made me feel like I know where I come from and always made me very proud to be African, to be Ugandan. And... Um, I'm really grateful for that. It's a blessing. And I hope that I can do that for my son. And if not for my son, I hope that these stories help children feel a little bit closer to the places that they're from. 
Um, not everybody will have the opportunity to travel back to their home countries when they're young, but they're always things that make us feel um, like uh, proud and happy about our history and our heritage, especially in a place like the UK that sometimes acts very proud of its diversity and then other times we hear very conflicting messages about yeah. how welcome we are to be here. It's very difficult for a young person, especially in school, and you know how vicious young people can be yeah. about um, how they treat different children from different places. So I really hope that these books can go towards helping young people get a get a, a healthier um, and happier sense of their self and their heritage. And I hope that for children that are not of African origin, that they can help inspire um, a sense of aspiration to African history too, and that they can actually be excited by Africa and not think that it's somewhere that needs, you know, their pity. And it's actually somewhere that is interesting and exciting um, and inspires love and respect to African children. I think that's that's the aim. That's the goal. Yeah, I I, I like that a lot because well, I I'm Zimbabwean and that speaks shorter. So I came here when I was <clears throat> excuse me, I came here when I was thirteen. So I still speak mm. shorter. Okay. I have some problems here and there. My, my reading Shona is much better than my speaking Shona because when I'm speaking to like my family back home, it's always in Shona. So I, I type and write Shona better than I speak it. And when my son was oh, born... interesting. Yeah. <laughs> when my son was born, I said I wanted him to know my language. And my husband is from Ghana. And I said, and he okay. speaks Chi and he speaks Ga. So I said, that's up to you which language you want him to speak. As long as he speaks one of them and he speaks Shona. But then it's really hard because when English speaking household, do you know what I mean? Between my husband (laughs) and I. So it's really hard that I speak to my son in Shona. My husband speaks to him in Chi or Ga, and then we speak to each other in English. Yeah. So it became so confusing that I just went back to English, but Mm -hmm. the older he becomes, the more I'm, like conflicting with myself that I'm just like, mm-hmm. no, you need to know your mom's tongue. Like you need to know your mother's tongue. You need, if you go to Zimbabwe, you need to speak to people in, in, in your home language. Just like if you go yeah. to Ghana, I'd like him to speak to people in his home language, but it's, it's, it's I feel like it's hard. It to, is. Honestly, it is hard to do that. Yeah, it is. It is hard. And I think you just have to try as much as you can. I think um, I am somebody that did try and learn when I was young, when I was a teenager. My mum bought me all these books and they were so boring to read. And I was like, wow. (laughs) But um, I think what inspires young people is some kind of ambition and inspiration behind like the practicality of wanting to learn you know we communicate in order to connect with other people so in order for I don't want in order for my son to really be able to take an interest in learning a language so we don't barely speak ourselves he has to want to connect to something and he can't connect to it without doing this first so I think that's the aim we we hope that 
when he gets older, he's only he's not even two yet, so he's really young. Um, but when he gets older and wants to connect with like other kids, he's gonna have that urge that he will want to. So that's when we'll push him. Yeah. But it's really hard to learn a language that you don't need to learn. Like you don't need it. You actually really don't need it. Like he's probably like, My life is fine. <laughs> I go to preschool, they understand me, I understand them. Why are you forcing me? <laughs> what values is really adding to my day-to-day life so I I get it I get it I've been there like I totally get it all right so we're gonna round up what does success look like to you Mm, okay great question so um what does success look like to me success looks like um me leaving a legacy I think that's something that's really important to me I would none of us are going to be around forever um and i want to when my time is up be able to have left something uh, left a mark and left something for my son to be proud of um and leave something for the generation uh behind me basically and leave something for my son's generation so that's success to me i think i'm even happy with what we've done already but um there's so much more we could do and then uh, that's one and then uh, success for the business I think the first one was my own personal success right but I think in terms of business success Uh that would be us reinventing um, reinventing or innovating how young children all over the world can have access to high quality children's stories and content about Africa's history and culture. Right now, it's not very easy. There's a lot of information. The internet is a messy and confusing place. And there is some content, but some content is great content that is maybe poorly produced. Some is some fantastically high quality produced, but lacking in real content that is appropriate for the themes that we want to cover so we're really hoping to bridge those worlds and also create like an ecosystem that is accessible whether you're in the uk or whether you are in um in barara village in uganda as long as you have internet access we want to be able to get these stories to you so i think that that's that's um you know that's success i think if we can achieve that that'll be success for us so what is the hardest thing um, about being an entrepreneur? Oh, the hardest thing or what are the hardest things? <laughs> <laughs> List as many as you like. <laughs> okay. Um, so I would say the hardest thing for me, if I'm really honest, is that it takes away time that I would be spending with my son sometimes. Mm-hmm. sometimes there are a number of things that we need to get done in a day my son goes to nursery three days a week he goes monday tuesday wednesday and is with us from thursday uh thursday friday saturday and sunday but to be honest there are times on between the, the thursday and the sunday that I, I you know my husband and i are juggling to get things done and i'm on my laptop like the, the times when i might take a second and i can see my husband's on his phone and i can see i'm on my laptop and i can see my son entertaining himself and i'll literally just stop what i'm doing and i'll be like you know what? i'm gonna go and take you on a walk or you know or you know my husband might be doing something and i'll just put down his phone and be like okay let's play so there, there are times where we catch ourselves in those moments but there are times when I do wish that things were less busy so that we 
could just have, you know, had that time. But if I'm honest, as a parent, as, as, as long as you were working and it, it is, you will always have that feeling of guilt that you're not there enough, that you're not doing enough. Yeah. Um, and even when, even if you're a stay-at-home mom, sometimes just the the amount of responsibilities that you have in the household beyond your child, the house, your marriage, your family, you know, you, there is this constant current of guilt sometimes that you're not doing enough. You could be, you could do more, you could be more. So I'm sure that those feelings are not unique to the circumstance, are not unique to to me, I think that is just something that we put, uh, as women and as mums, we put our pressure on ourselves um, a little bit on that. So I think that's one of the, well, that's one of the hard things. And uh, in terms of the rest of the hard things, you know, I'm very lucky to say I really enjoy working with my husband. I know it's not easy uh, working with your spouse especially when you're in a national lockdown <laughs> you've been in lockdown for like how and you long? can't go anywhere <laughs> yeah, absolutely so you know we definitely have our moments but we really do work well together and extremely patient my husband is a very patient person and I'm very lucky for that because I don't have patience in abundance I try but sometimes I want things to happen quite quickly um and maybe it's just it's an it's an Aries lifestyle but um <laughs> I think I'm lucky for that. But I think the main challenge is just sometimes I wish I was a bit more present. I wish I had a bit more time. But as I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, self-care is a priority for me mm-hmm. and carving out that time is a priority for me. And nobody's going to slow the clock down for you. Nobody's going to reorganize your day on your behalf to give you that time. Only I can do it for myself. So I'm, I'm taking that very seriously. I don't, I, you know, some people love the idea of being busy all the time, but I actually, actually don't. I don't think it's fashionable to be busy. I think it's really important to, to be calm and level-headed and and as organized as you can be. I agree. But then it's not been a but. I just feel like when I have that calm and I feel Mm -hmm. like I've got everything sorted, I feel like I'm missing something. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? when you feel like yeah am I supposed to be just sitting here doing nothing like is, yeah, yeah am I forgetting yeah. to do something <laughs> yeah absolutely and and that's what I was saying like at the beginning when you're saying did you find it difficult and it really is difficult to learn how to be at peace for peace because you actually get used to needing to be busy needing to be somewhere having something to do checking on something you know it actually becomes therapeutic to be busy so it's it's a habit you know that is that needs to be reinforced and I'm, I'm trying to do that I have a great app called Headspace that I get free through work um which I try and make the most of it helps me sleep really well sometimes I just like take five minutes just to like just to sit there like not to do anything I literally just sit on my bed I put a meditation up sometimes my mind goes all over the place and then other times my mind can actually manage to say relatively still Mm -hmm. but it's just like I'll try um I really want to try and exercise more this year but I'm not putting too much pressure on myself even if I can just do a good stretch 
like I'll be happy for that. So I, I, I'm not at the place, you know, um, Clytie, where I can honestly tell you like, yeah, I'm like, I'm getting my one hour exercise. I'm drinking my six liters of water. And, you know, I'm saying my daily affirmations. I'm definitely <laughs> not there. But um, I am at least managing to carve out five minutes, 10 minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Um, and it's making all the difference, to be honest. And that's what you need. As long as you can take some time out for yourself to just say, yeah. I need this. Let me just have that downtime. Yeah. Do that. yeah. That's yeah. important. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you so much for taking your time. To thank you. To this was really nice. No, I really appreciate <laughs> you coming on because I have been wanting to talk to you as, like the first time I heard about Kunda Kids, I don't know which, which came first, the podcast or Kunda Kids, but you were definitely like on the top list of the people I wanted to speak to. So oh, thank you. I'm so glad that I managed to speak with you. Tell your husband it is not personal. This is just a podcast for women. <laughs> <laughs> I just talk to women. <laughs> My husband has actually been saying that he wants to be a little bit more visible um, because I told him, you know, you should too. You haven't done anything. Honestly, my husband is not shy. It's just, he's just not had a chance to like, I don't know, comb out his Afro and his beard and actually get on <laughs> in front of the camera. So I, I, I want him to, to try and create a bit of a space for dads. Yeah. You know, as women, sometimes we really dominate the space around parenting and what our kids should be doing and content for our kids and products for our kids. Um, and I'm like, where are the dads? So he's like, that's so true. And he's a really hands-on dad. So I think um, he wants, he started this Instagram page called African Dads and he wants to try and like get more dads together talking about that experience. So I hope he does um, well in that because I think, you know, I I hate the uh, misconception that dads are not around, you know, Mm -hmm. because I know so many amazing um, black and African men in our community doing the best that they can and doing an amazing job for their families and their wives and their children and their businesses. And they for sure need to be recognized. Yeah. Um, yeah Cause I, you know, I really hate, I hate that uh, impression that people have. I think it's, it's not my experience. Yeah. That was episode nine of Who Moved My Back In with Louisa Olafuyi, co-founder of Kunda Kids Books. I hope you picked up as many gems as possible, which I don't think Louisa was aware that she was dropping, particularly the fact that she mentioned it's very important to be able to articulate your brand, your visuals, the language you use in order for you to evoke the feeling that you want your intended audience to get what this conversation also pointed out for me is that it is not too late to do anything and start anything if we put this into context Kunda Kids was birthed towards the beginning of 2020 and before Christmas the books were out and they worked and they put out amazing content an amazing book series so I hope this was good for you as it was good for me and I'd like to say another thank you to Louisa and her husband for putting out this book and for coming onto the podcast if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast please send an email to whomovemybaghin at gmail.com and put guest and your name in the subject in the body of the email put your company name your details and where we can reach you speak to you again soon 
Bye.